This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hi, everybody. I'm Deborah Lindner. Got to tell you the truth as I sat at my keyboard trying to figure out how to introduce our subject today. It was a tough one. The topic is grief and loss for the foster parent. If you accept the reality of fostering, grief and loss is real. And that reality is that some children will be reunited with their family and they'll leave your home. Other children will be adopted and they may be in your home forever. It is the reality. My co-host Liz Rivera spent years training families to accept this reality, but it often doesn't hit home until it happens to you. Liz, would you agree at its core that fostering is really about living with uncertainty? Absolutely. I often say foster care is the ultimate liminal space. You're not there or you're not here. And what also makes living in that liminal space difficult is that you don't know what's coming next. Sometimes it's easier to live with an in-between place if you know what's going to happen next. But in foster care, we just can't predict that. And so it makes us admire and respect the families that choose that way of life even more. That liminal space sounds so familiar. Haven't we all been living with that the past (laughs) few years? Absolutely. The pandemic has been the big one. And I don't know that I'm still able to deal with that uncertainty, but We're all trying, and maybe for some of us, it helps recognize that reality more for foster parenting. Let's go ahead and welcome our guests. We're really pleased to have with us today two people out there who are on the front line. They're foster parents, Melina and Matt Moore from Taylorsville. Welcome. Thank Thank you. you. I might mention Matt is also a member of Utah Foster Care's Board of Directors. We're grateful for that. So we're also joined by Les Harris. I'm joking with Les that he is going to win our most frequent guest award. This is his third appearance on the podcast. But as those of you who know Les, you know why we keep asking him back. We never can get enough of Les's wisdom or his humor. He's one of our longtime trainers, and he's also an LCSW and has trained hundreds of foster families, primarily in the eastern part of Utah, but really all over the state of Utah. And he's now heading up a new initiative at Utah Foster Care to help foster parents recognize their own emotional distress when a child goes through reunification and how to offer support. So Les, why is this new initiative of support for families who are dealing with the loss of a child, either the anticipated loss of a child due to reunification or the actual loss when that child does return home? Well, one of the things I've noticed over the years, particularly working with so many foster parent groups, is we talk a lot about the grief and loss that children experience when they're removed from their families. And we also talk about the grief and loss that our birth parents are experiencing when their child comes into a foster care setting. And one of the deficits, even though I know it's been mentioned throughout our training course, but we really haven't addressed how foster parents react when a child goes through reunification and is now leaving their home. And not only the foster parents, but any existing children in the home that also have to say goodbye to that child. I think we have to address those issues because we haven't for so long. And I think one of the common statements I've heard 
foster parents ask, is it easier not to build an attachment relationship with the child? And I just generally respond, well, good luck with that. It's not possible. How do you not connect with the child who's now under your care? I think we're getting to the point where we recognize it finally as an important issue and are in a position to begin addressing it accordingly. Madam Molina, we have you on today because you have gone through a lot of that uncertainty. Tell us a little bit about what your journey has been like. So we've had just two placements, even though we've been foster parents for five years, but both were long-term placements. So our first little guy we got straight from the hospital and it was a relatively easy foster care case. I remember one time though, when we did get word that he was probably going to be going back to his mom. And I remember just crying that evening. Like, I know this is going to be a good thing for him, but it was so hard to hear and know that he would not end up in our family, which ended up changing. He is a permanent part of our family now because that's how foster care goes. Things change all the time. Our second kiddo that we had placed with us, we knew from pretty early on that she was probably going to be going to a relative. And that was definitely hard not knowing for sure that was going to happen and for sure when that was going to happen. COVID played a little part in that, in postponing it a little bit, as well as some other things. But when she left, Matt and I have both said that was probably the hardest day of our lives. Yeah, it was hands down the worst. I'm already emotional. Is there any way that you could have been prepared for this? I've been thinking about it since we knew this podcast was coming. And we were as prepared as we could be, we had some concerns about the situation that she was going to, which was probably what made it even more difficult. But that's not unusual because a lot of times when kiddos are being reunified, it's not to what everyone would consider the ideal situation. So it's hard to know that these kids are going to a situation that may not be what we might think would be ideal. I don't know what prepared looks like because... I think prepared is trying to put up defenses and putting up defenses is not healthy. You just have to know it's going to suck. I think that speaks to one of the critical issues. So we train so many foster parents about reunification during pre-service and during in-service training opportunities. We talk about goodbye rituals and how to make it easier to say goodbye. And it's one thing to hear that in training, but when you're actually going through the experience, it's an entirely different animal. And we want to be able to help the families while they're going through those experiences instead of just sharing information in advance and say, oh, be prepared for A, B, and C. But in the moment, it's hard and it's difficult and you need support and you need to know how to navigate those difficult emotions. Otherwise, it just becomes overwhelming, as Matt said. And I think that's why this becomes such a critical program. One thing we always tell foster families, and it sounds awful to say, but we want this to break your heart because that means that you've given that child your heart. Because going back to what you said, Matt, if you put up those fences and you protect yourself, that doesn't benefit the child. And so you're the ones that are going to get hurt because you are looking out for the best interest of that child. And I'll tell you from my experience, I'm glad that was the worst day of my life. Yeah, it would be sad if we weren't sad when she was leaving. You know, it's interesting. Right now we have a little kiddo with us just providing respite. So it's just for a few days. And you were saying, how can you not connect to these little kids? And even though he's only here with us for four days, I'm still going to be sad when he leaves. I'm going to miss that little smile. So even in a short-term placement, you love these kids. You love these kids. And that's what they need. 
So on that worst day of your life, what would you have said to Les? So say that you called Les and you said, we need to talk about this. What would you have said to Les? That's a hard one. One thing I probably would have asked is how do I help my son through this? He was only two at the time. He woke up screaming the next morning that he wanted his little sister to be back in our home. He didn't want her to leave. And that was really hard to hear. Did we harm him by having her leave? So how do I help him, Les? Honestly, I think that's probably one of the biggest questions. We talk about foster parent grief and loss upon reunification, but it breaks our hearts when we see the existing children in the home doing exactly what you've described. And so part of that intervention would be to not only support what it's like for you, but to mirror the child's feelings as well. Meaning if the child is upset and sad, you have to be able to make it okay for him to be upset and sad because that's how you feel as well. And to be able to comfort and offer opportunities to talk about and think about the loss that they're experiencing. For young children, I get that that's not always a verbal opportunity, but you're going to be able to pull out hopefully some artwork and some drawings and some crayons and clay or whatever you could use to try to talk about that loss while they're engaged in some kind of play what it was like to have that person in your life and allowed the child to express that through crayons or whatever. And I'll tell you, that can go a long way to normalizing how the child feels. Also learning to communicate your feelings of loss to the child as well, that you are sad and that the big emotions that he is experiencing are also shared by you. So that would be the initial approach. I think that is probably as good as responses we can use, given the circumstances of their inability to really understand what happened. Well, and that might be counter to how you're thinking as a parent, you've got to be strong and hold it in and not talk about your feelings, right? Right. And I think that part of how a child makes sense of their feelings is by watching the parents process and go through those same feelings. So we should not be reluctant to mirror to the child those feelings that we're experiencing. And as they then become attuned to our emotional response, in a sense, it actually comforts them knowing that it's okay for me to feel this way. They can't really cognitively think about it that way, but our regulatory system picks up on those nonverbal communications in a way that is actually quite soothing and comforting for the child. And so that's why it becomes critical to be able to help foster parents and others to help the children understand it's okay not to feel okay right now. Our 12 year old at the time, it was really hard on him, really hard on him. The difference being with the 12 year old, you're now having a much more verbal conversation mm-hmm. and able to process. this. Emotions and other feelings as a result of his cognitive abilities. And I'll tell you, that's going to be just as important for them to go through that experience of normalizing how they're feeling as it is for the two year old. Going back to what Les said earlier about that this has been a long, ongoing need that we've recognized but haven't been able to really explicitly address is that grief of the children that remain in the home and how important it is that we address that as well as the parents' grief. That affects you too, because you're not only grieving the loss of that child, but you're now grieving the grief your kids are going through. And that just adds another layer of difficulty to this. Are we going to have more support through our support groups, which we call clusters, to talk about these things? You mentioned there had been training, but anything more specific 
So right now I have to stop and say one of the difficulties is as I transitioned into this clinical position, I was still performing some educational duties and trying to find somebody to, to take over that component. It's been a little bit of a delayed response. And now that I've been able to devote more time to it, the effort is being made right now as we speak to look at support groups through all of our cluster groups throughout the state. The first part was identifying clinical staff at each of the region who can support that. And we're talking about how do we deliver those support groups through already existing programs like our education program. We could offer opportunities for groups to get together in a supportive way. And traditionally, it's been determined that support groups is not training and therefore they don't get hours. So we really emphasize that this is an opportunity not only to get support, but it is allowing families to be credited towards some of their ongoing hours as well. So having said that, I'm in the process of piloting a couple of groups in the Eastern region, simply because it's easy for me to do that. <laughs> and the other is I'm looking at what's happening in the Northern region. There is one active support group in the Northern region. Megan Bernardo is helping with that. And it seems to be very productive. So I'll be participating in that next month. I want to make sure that whatever we're doing is standardized, that we're all doing somewhat the same thing, that we're not just throwing support groups together because we think it's a good idea. We want them to be productive and we want to address the real issues that our foster parents are experiencing in the process. The emphasis here will be to make sure every cluster group in the state has the opportunity to have regular opportunities to support one another. I'm curious, Madam Melina, did you reach out to other foster parents just to vent about this? So I have a friend who was a foster parent in the past, and I have talked to her about it. This happened in the heat of COVID when there was a lot of isolation going on, which I'm sure did not help <laughs> the situation. But yeah, having people to talk to about it is absolutely important because either people think, why are you sad? You knew this was going to happen or you're the one that signed up for this. You get some different opinions unless it's somebody who's actually been there and can understand. And I also have a brother who is a foster parent and I've talked to him a lot and that's helped as well. We always say that foster parents understand foster parents the best because you guys are living it. Would it have been helpful to have somebody, a point person, a clinical staff, for example, in your region that you could contact during those toughest moments, would that have been helpful for you? I think so. I would agree. I think it's very helpful that creating that safe space, at least I've got a point person that may not be like ongoing, like talking with a foster family or somebody like that, but a point person that you can feel safe, like I'm in the throes of this. I need some advice. I need somebody to share what's going on and just get some guidance, I think would be unbelievably valuable. You know, sometimes you have some guilt about feeling bad that they're leaving because the reunification is the goal that it's important for them to be with their first families. And so being able to express it in a safe place, absolutely, I think is important. One of the things that, again, I'm going to mirror what you described earlier, and that was that so often, whether it's acquaintances or friends or family members or DCFS staff or whoever are telling you, you knew what you signed up for, just take another placement and everything will be okay. You shouldn't resist reunification. And what people aren't recognizing is the pain, the emotional pain that foster parents are going through when that happens. 
And what you don't need are those kinds of statements. What you need is somebody that can essentially connect with you and help you recognize that it's okay to be upset and sad and angry and frustrated and all the things you're experiencing as a result of saying goodbye to a child. As a trainer, I think I probably said it every time in every cohort that the hardest thing we ask foster parents to do is to take a child in their home, love them and care for them and nurture them and develop those attachments, but be prepared to say goodbye. That's the hardest thing we ever ask foster parents to do. And it doesn't matter about the paperwork or the red tape, the bureaucracies, or maybe the relationships with their staff. None of that matters nearly as much as having to say goodbye to a child. I can't imagine how hard that is for our families. And I might mention that during the pandemic, we still had people signing up to become foster parents. And quite frankly, now that people see some daylight in the pandemic, I think people are realizing that it's hard to feel this uncertainty. And we have seen a drop in the number of people wanting to become foster parents. So what's your advice to them? As hard as it was, I'm glad we had the experience. I'm glad I got to know her. I'm glad that she was a part of our lives at that time. Now, I might add a caveat. She ended up coming back to our family and is now a permanent member of our family. But she was gone for just under five months. So we didn't think she was coming back. So we definitely felt the loss and the grief. And we were not in communication with her at that time. But even in those five months, I would have done it again in a heartbeat. The kids are worth it. Those relationships are worth it. Being able to be a support to children and their first families is 100% worth it, even with all the pain. And I would echo that. I've read a lot of Brene Brown through this process. And one of my favorite things with her is if you want to understand love, you have to be willing to take the pain of what comes with loving wholeheartedly. Because if you're not willing to take the pain, you're not experiencing real love. That's just the reality. An impact on our family that's been really cool is through this, our oldest daughter who wants to go to law school, her goal is to become a guardian ad litem and help the kids. Another one of our children wants to be a psychiatrist to help kids in care. So the impact it's had on our family as a whole has been phenomenally good. Well, and a couple of our children have mentioned wanting to be foster parents when they are older. Even with all the pain that they have felt, they still have that desire. That's wonderful. So when she came back, you still didn't know if she was staying that second time. What was that like emotionally just to like, you lost her, she came back, you still didn't know if she was going to leave again. It was incredibly difficult. I was actually five months pregnant when she came back into our family. And it sounds silly, but things like, do we set up a mini crib because we're going to have two little ones in our room? Even knowing what to name our baby that was on the way, we wanted to make sure that our now daughter felt a part of the family. So we wanted the names to mesh well. It's funny, but there's these, all these little things that you don't realize until you're there. But it was a really long time that we waited on the judge to make the final decision. And it's so strange to be in that we're just living our daily lives like we're a normal family, but at any moment that could change. But in all honesty, it can change for anybody. That's the reality of life is we don't have a guarantee for anything. 
Yeah, we all know like someone we love could get in a car accident, but it feels like they're driving down the freeway at 100 miles an hour and you're just waiting for the accident to happen. But it doesn't change how much you love them at all. Some people say that they finally live their lives when they have a terminal disease or something like that. And that feeling of loss at any time almost makes you more aware of how precious every day is. These are really great words for any family to hear, whether or not you're a foster family or not, because you're right. Things are out of your control. They really are. Any final thoughts, Les, on what to tell people who are either currently foster parents and looking at a reunification? I think it would simply be a reiteration of something I've said earlier, which is it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be hurt by this experience, but sometimes navigating that pain and suffering of a loss isn't always easy. And that's why we want foster parents to have opportunities to reach out and connect with clinical staff and be able to just get through that and know that you'll be okay. It doesn't mean today, but it certainly means that eventually it'll get easier. And I know all of us in this forum have gone through loss in some way, and we all know what it's like. We all have experienced pain and suffering of losing things or people we care about. And, and having gone through those experiences, we recognize that if we don't accept the loss, but we reconstruct our life around it. So it makes it a little easier moving forward. And that's what I want to help our foster parents understand that eventually you'll get to that space where you can look back and recognize that despite the suffering, despite the pain, we can look back on that as an experience that made us whole, that made us better people in a sense. I think that is critical for all of our foster parents to understand that I can walk away from this eventually and still feel like I'm able to contribute and be strong and still be a good parent and all the things that are required of me because there are other children and other family members that still need your attention. And that'll be critical. Thanks, Les. And thanks for joining us. One thing I've always loved hearing is the stories from foster parents who may have gone through a reunification and they realize the impact that they've had maybe years later, a child who's now grown up will come back to them and say, I remember this. And so we tell them, no matter how long a child is in your home, you've had an impact somewhere down the line and it's going to be long lasting. This has been a very good conversation. And of course, as we say, we're just scratching the surface. I want to thank Les, Melina, and Matt Moore for your great insight and for your candidness in talking about this. The more we talk about this, the more we learn and the more insight you can get. And as Les said, maybe become a better person. For all of you licensed foster parents out there, don't forget, you can get in-service training credits for listening to this podcast today, and we hope that you'll recommend others listen to it. If you're thinking of becoming a foster parent, don't let this fear of reunification keep you from giving us a call and talking to us because there's a lot of support out there, especially now. Thank you to my co-host, Liz Rivera. Thanks also to our producer, Marshall Shearer Davis, who is behind the scenes. I want to remind you, you don't need to know everything to be a foster parent. You just need to be willing to learn. I'm Deborah Lindner. We'll see you next time. 
This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.